Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Living With Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. This podcast has been made in conjunction with the amazing team at Endometriosis Australia. My name is Ellie Angel Mobs. I'm an ambassador for this charity and I'm really excited to get this next episode out because my guest is absolutely amazing. Professor Luke Rombouts. He's got vast experience when it comes to reproductive medicine. He's the group medical director of Monash IVF Group. He's part of the clinical advisor committee for Endometriosis Australia. And he's also the president of the World Endometriosis Society. Yes, there is a World Endometriosis Society. They do amazing work across the globe to ensure that our endo warriors get the support that they need to create awareness, to get the research funds. There's so many things that this society does and Luke is going to tell us all about that and how you can take part in something very exciting in the future. Plus, he also answers the big question around how close are we to finding a cure for endometriosis. Please enjoy Professor Luke Rombouts. Luke Rombouts, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. How are you? Thanks for inviting me. So excited to be chatting to you because not only are you part of the Clinical Advisory Committee for Endometriosis Australia, that's one of the titles on your resume. Indeed, yep. I've been privileged to be invited and uh, where I can, I try to part with my advice and the experience that I've got in uh, the treatment of this uh, disease that unfortunately so many women and uh, other people suffer from. The most impressive title you've got is that you are the president of the World Endometriosis Society, which I didn't realise was a thing until now. Yeah, so the World Endometriosis Society has been around for quite a while, certainly uh, longer than I've been in the field. Um, In actual fact, the first time that I was privileged to be associated with the World Endometriosis Society was when my mentor, the late Professor David Healy, who is one of the great minds in the treatment and management of endometriosis, invited me to become part of his uh, scientific organizing committee for the meeting, the World Endometriosis Society meeting in Melbourne. That was in 2008. Um, and that was a, a great privilege to be part of that. And Slowly, I've just uh, kept contributing to the society and, and now indeed, yes, I've finally been elected the president of the World Endometriosis Society. So what does the Endometriosis Society do? Well, the World Endometriosis Society has a number of visions. We, we like to think of ourselves as a global organisation, of course, which is reflected in the world. world. Um, and we like to think uh, of it as the premier uh, organization to advocate for more awareness for endometriosis and adenomyosis, which most of your listeners will probably know is a, a comorbidity or a disease that's often associated also with endometriosis. It's very much like endo, but it sits in the muscle wall of the uterus itself. I've got the double and whammy. Quite- <laughs> You've got the double whammy. You're not alone. There's, there's unfortunately many, many women who have both of them. So we we like to advocate more awareness. Um, this is amongst patients. We've got a lot of um, similar groups like Endometriosis Australia, so patient support groups uh, that are sort of connected with us. Uh, there's now even an uh, overarching one, a world Um, endometriosis organizations uh, society if I can put it that way where they try to coordinate activities amongst 
similar patient organizations uh, across uh, the whole world. And one of the people that um, is involved in that is sits on the World Endometriosis uh, Society Board. We have in the past always been involved in things like the development of clinical guidelines. So whenever large other learned societies uh, take initiatives like that, we've always been invited or have driven ourselves the development of such guidelines. We are also quite closely associated with uh, WERF, which is another acronym, and that stands for the World Endometriosis Research Foundation. It's a separate organization, but I would like to think of it as a sister organization. Mm. And they um, have also done quite a lot of work around putting special articles or manuscripts out there, guiding clinicians and researchers on how to best perform and carry out research to find cures, to find new diagnostic tests. So often what we find is that research is quite fragmented. People do their own little thing in their own little corner in, in the world. And, and what we find is being really difficult is to make sure that when we collect, for instance, tissue samples from patients, before you can actually get to really meaningful results, you need really large tissue banks to actually do proper research. And the problem is that people do it one way in Australia, they do it one way in the US, they do it in a different way again in UK. And we've been trying to find commonalities, like how should we not all agree on one way of storing tissues or asking our patients certain questions around the pain they experience? So those are the types of things that the World Endometriosis has been involved in. But I must say the key thing, one of the, the, the main events for us, the, the, the big celebration is our three annual event. So every three years, we have a, a big uh, conference. It's called the World Congress on Endometriosis. And the next one I'm pleased to say will uh, happen in Edinburgh in 2023 in May. It's actually open for patients as well. We try to always make it palatable or inviting for patients, certainly we always get some uh, delegates from patient organizations, such as the Endometriosis Australia. I know that Donna Ciccio has always been a, a, a visitor and, a, and an attendee. Mm. So we encourage patients to be part of the journey because really we want to help them. We want to know what keeps them awake at night, not just in terms of the pain, but what are, what are their aspirations? What do they want us to focus on in terms of research and uh, clinical advances. That's a big meeting. It's probably a meeting that's uh, quite different in regards to other surgical meetings that are held in the sense that it's, I think, the only one that actually attracts both clinicians, uh, so that's your surgeons and your IVF specialists, but also a large contingent of scientists. And it's nice to actually meet with both of them because you know, we as clinicians, I'm, I'm a clinician, but I'm also a researcher. We often work in a silo, but it is often good to have that conversation between researchers and clinicians. There's a, there's a lot of cross-fertilisation that can occur at meetings like that. So how are Endometriosis Australia involved in the society? Well, we obviously, Jason Abbott is, is uh, uh, a good friend of mine, and he's been a very strong advocate for endometriosis in Australia. He's uh, obviously chaired the committee that has uh, drawn up the new guidelines. 
uh, on the proper management, evidence-based management of endometriosis in Australia. And Endometriosis Australia is one of those patient organisations that we consider to be uh, like um, a partner uh, in our quest to raise awareness, to improve the research and the management of clinicians. And um, that's that's effectively how, how we, we work together. So you mentioned around the tissue collection and that each country is different to the way that they collect it. From that, you need to actually have patients who have got tissue to collect in the first place. So therefore, by creating awareness, you're able to get the tissues to then do the research to hopefully one day find a cure. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I think we've probably not done done that well enough or have probably not put enough effort in creating awareness. And it's not just amongst patients. I mean, sadly, uh, there is still a lot of ignorance about the disease when it comes to primary health care. So there's a lot of GPs who uh, we know are not fully educated in the very specifics of the disease, not just in how to pick up the subtle signs, perhaps, early on in the disease, and when to refer to a specialist to make sure that the diagnosis isn't missed for a long time, or if they indeed suspect that a patient has the disease, what treatment options they can already start before she does indeed need to be referred to a specialist. I know that it's often said that endometriosis can only be accurately diagnosed with a laparoscopy, which is true. That's still the gold standard diagnosis. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with working with what we would call an uh, empirical treatment. So effectively, you can say, well, um, the most likely diagnosis is endometriosis. Yes, I don't. I know that I haven't done a laparoscopy, but based on all the symptoms, based perhaps on an ultrasound, that seems to be the most likely diagnosis. So I'm going to prescribe this patient some hormonal treatment or some analgesics. And if that then indeed works, that is perfectly fine. I mean, keep in mind, I think, Ellie, and you as a patient, you would appreciate this. Ultimately, you do not necessarily want the lesions to be treated. You want you to be treated. You've got the disease. You've got the pain. You've got the symptoms. And I think our focus needs to shift really from um, thinking about nodules and lesions that I, as a surgeon, need to cut out as quickly as possible. I need to ask you, Ellie, what is it that you want? What, what, are, what are the things that bother you the most? And then it's a conversation together, and you guide really that discussion as to how we can best help you. And that doesn't always require a, a surgical diagnosis. And so I think that's, that's one of those important things is that we need to create that awareness in increasing our conversation with patients and having them involved in the development of research programs, I hope that we will find in the next five and 10 years that our research will be much more focused on the things that are important to patients. And one of the, well, in actual fact, the, the president of the World Congress. So whenever uh, one of our meetings is held every three years, and the next one, as I mentioned, is held in Edinburgh, the person who hosts the meeting is called the conference president. And in this case, this will be Professor Andrew Horn in Edinburgh. Mm. And he actually has uh, undertaken uh, a significant piece of work working. This was in the UK, 
with uh, a large number of patients and uh, endometriosis specialists to work out what patients feel should be, say, the top 10 research priorities. Because we, as I said before, we write up grants, we ask governments for money, we have these dreams about what we would like to do in the lab. But ultimately, what really is important is to make sure that that research leads to uh, solutions that are important to the patients. And he's actually done really an amazing good job in listing the 10 top research priorities that patients feel we should focus on. Can you give us an insight into anything that might be coming from that or how we could join in the conversation? Yeah, well, the the cure remains very high on the list. (laughs) Uh, And if you ask me, what do I dream of? I do dream of the cure. There's no question. So clearly patients do want us to focus. uh, I mean, obviously there are other important things that they did mention, Mm. um, but, but the cure remains the goal. I think currently we have good strategies to keep patients comfortable, to help them with fertility issues if they're present. But as uh, most patients that are listening will know, uh, it's really trying to keep the disease at bay at the moment. Mm. And some patients are lucky. They have one surgery and they never have a recurrence, but a significant proportion of patients will, of course, find that symptoms will recur, that the lesions will come back. So finding Uh, a simple pill that you would take uh, perhaps even every day, but if it was cheap and affordable, didn't cause much side effects. And that would keep you uh, safe from this condition until you go into menopause. As you know, once menopause kicks in, the disease usually is no longer a risk to the patient. That That would be something nice if we could develop that. Sure. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And it's interesting hearing you talk as well. Um, 10 years ago, I was first diagnosed and, you know, the fix was, well, the fix, so to speak, was to have the surgery and I had multiple, but fast forward to now. And if I were to be first going to a doctor and starting that conversation around my pain, I would not be going down the surgery line. I think it would be, okay, how can we keep your pain at bay and how can we manage it that way? Yeah. And look, I mean, that's not to say that the advice you received when you started your journey was incorrect. That's part of what research is, is that we that we learn about things and that we that we evolve. That's exactly what research is always about. Mm. And certainly when I was in training, yes, it was pretty much a, a surgical diagnosis and a surgical uh, treatment that was uh, at the forefront of everyone's minds. But we know now from lots of research uh, some interesting research from one of our board directors, uh, Sun Wei Guo in China, where he's clearly shown that every time you do surgery, there is actually risk of aggravating the disease. So the, the stress that comes with surgery, we know the body obviously reacts in a stressful way to a surgical intervention. It's an invasion on the body. He's actually shown in animal models, that's in actual fact, if, if, if you introduce endometriotic lesions in a mouse model, if you do then surgery um, on these mice, that these lesions will grow more rapidly compared to the control mice. And he's actually been able to demonstrate in clinical studies, not with a, with a research sort of setup like that, but he's actually been able to show that you are more likely to develop severe forms of endometriosis like a chocolate cyst on your ovary 
if you have a prior history of abdominal surgery or any type of surgery. So there seems to be that concern that repeat surgery is not necessarily a good thing. Uh, We know that it can potentially accelerate the growth of lesions. And we also know, and that's something that we already know for quite a long time, is that the index surgery, that's what we call the very first surgery, is by far the very in the most important one. Mm. We know that the return on your money, if you could put it that way, um, with repeat surgery is a lot less. So in other words, um, the best outcomes are always obtained with the first surgery. And that's why I think it's important that, you know, this. So the management of this disease should evolve more towards perhaps an interdisciplinary or some people call it the multidisciplinary team approach where the more difficult cases are discussed with different types of specialists. Of course, the surgeon plays an important role. The GP probably has an important role in that as well, because often once we've done the surgery, you go back to your GP for the ongoing management of pain and prescriptions and what have you. Pain specialist is probably important. We probably are surgeons not really fully versed in how we can best mix and match different types of pain medications to give you the best uh, sort of outcome from a pain perspective. Uh, Physiotherapist, pelvic floor physiotherapist in my practice, I find unbelievably useful in women with pelvic pain, with pain during sex. So really, it ought to be a multidisciplinary approach. And surgery has a role in it, but it should be that once the decision is made, Uh, to take on surgery, uh, especially in the more advanced cases, that you've got the best surgical team. So it's not you have a a surgeon having a look, say, oh, wow, that's that's quite advanced disease. Uh, We're going to take pictures, wake the patient up. We'll need to have another discussion about whether she really wants to go ahead with perhaps a bowel resection. All of that should have been decided before you do the first surgery. The imaging techniques these days are good enough that we should be prepared before we put the telescope in. And that discussion then has to be had with the patient. We need to say, look, well, based on your symptoms, the clinical examination, the imaging techniques, this is what we know. This is what we think your pelvis looks like inside. These are the things that we can and can't do. How do you feel about this? Because there are different options. It could be that we try the non-surgical route first. It could be that we try surgical first. But ultimately, I think there ought to be a discussion with the patient. And you can't have a discussion, an informed discussion, unless you have all of that information available. And you have that multidisciplinary team where you can rely on the expertise of others. Wow. Things have really changed just, you know, in the past couple of years, talking through all of these different clinicians you're mentioning. What would you love to see change in the next five to 10 years for the Endo Warriors? Well, look, I think even though I dream of a cure and uh, it's, I think everyone dreams of the cure, I'm I'm not alone in that, it will be incremental. I mean, unless a a big miracle happens, uh, I don't think we'll suddenly stumble on that uh, one molecule uh, that will make everything go away. So I think what I'd like to see is a number of things. I mean, there's a number of goals that I have, and certainly I'm now talking with my hat on as the president of the World Endometriosis Society. 
I think one of the goals that I have is that we increase our awareness in those countries where access to treatment is less available. And uh, one of the aims for our next World Congress in Edinburgh is to try and bring about a sponsorship program for those young doctors and researchers in low resource um, in, uh, or low income countries uh, from Africa, for instance, from certain countries in Asia, so that we can make sure that all women with endometriosis benefit from that increased awareness. Uh, I think we're doing quite well in Australia in, in many respects, and certainly Jason has been a strong leader in that regard, but that's certainly not true in all countries. So that is one of the dreams that I have that I think we can achieve more quickly than mm. a cure. Um, secondly is, yes, to continue that discussion to raise awareness locally, uh, to make sure that we work towards better multidisciplinary teams. I think in the public setting, that is probably already happening. In private hospitals, it's a little bit more difficult because often surgeons, when they work in a private setting, they work as little islands, they work on their own. But uh, I'm pleased to say in the private hospital that I work at in, in uh, Melbourne, uh, there is now a, a proper endometriosis research centre set up, and that will also look at not just research, but on, in ways we can actually improve clinical care within that hospital. So I think those are the things that will lead to very incremental uh, improvements in patient care, not just in Australia, but worldwide. Now, when it comes to the Worldwide Endometriosis Society and the big event that is happening in 2023 in Edinburgh, you have mentioned that patients can go along. How can we go and take part? Well, I mean, you can go to the World Endometriosis Society website. If you just Google World Endometriosis Society and Edinburgh, uh, you will find uh, the links. Uh, we have, of course, um, made sure that uh, patients have a reduced registration fee because we know that they are perhaps not as uh, wealthy as the surgeons that uh, treat them. So we have tried to make it as accessible as possible. And so there are reduced registration fees, not just for patients, but also for those doctors and researchers from low-income uh, countries, for nurses and allied health uh, care providers. So it, it really, we try as best as we can to improve the accessibility of that learning experience. And we really strongly welcome patients to take part in it. If you don't come, then we can't learn from you. And ultimately, we really serve your interests. We, we're keen and very eager to do the best we can, but we can only do it in partnership with the patient. It sounds like a really exciting event to take part in. So if you're able to, go and check out the World Endometriosis Society website and book a ticket. Why not? Who wants a holiday? I think after COVID, it's, the, it's one of the things we really want to do. Yeah. And, I, and I'm told that May in Edinburgh is one of the best months to go and visit. We, we all think of it as a cold and miserable place, but May is beautiful. It's late spring and it's a beautiful city. It's I've been there before. And, and Edinburgh is probably one of the key centres of women's health research, not just endo. So it's a really, it's a, it's a, it's a good place to be as an endometriosis patient for sure. 
It sounds like something to put into the diary for 2023. Luke Rombouts, thank you so much for your time on the podcast. Really do appreciate it. And I've learned so much about the World Endometriosis Society. And I look forward to hearing all of the exciting progress in the future that you have made being the president there. Thank you so much, Ellie, for your very kind invitation. Thank you so much to Professor Luke Rombouts for his time and to share more information about the World Endometriosis Society. Make sure you check out that website plus endometriosisaustralia.org where you can see some of Luke's other work and you can also make a donation as well to help with research because with research we can eventually find a cure for the endo warriors. Now, what I'd love for you to do, if you have enjoyed this podcast, Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis, leave a review, give it stars, five, if you really liked it, uh, because by doing that, it actually lets other endo warriors know that there's a podcast exists about endometriosis. I look forward to sharing more episodes with you soon. In the meantime, stay safe. My name is Ellie Angel Mobs. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I cannot wait to chat to you soon.